the world be pod the 32 fans podcast where we discuss all things movies past present and occasionally future my name is sammy chester and i'm av sedensky and today we have part two of our sports movies tournament of champions for those of you who've been listening for a while you know over the last 10 months we have watched a couple hundred movies sport by sport and have been narrowing them down into the best movies so that we can come to you today with part two, the Bambino region. We have 16 movies we're going to talk about today. By the end of this podcast, those 16 will be down to four to see which ones get into the Sweet 16. And as we continue over the next couple of weeks, we'll continue with the Miyagi region and the Balboa region until we have 16 sports movies left to compete in the sports movies tournament of champions. The Sweet 16 that you may not get in March Madness basketball and CAA but you will get a sweet 16 from our bracket. <laughs> Let me, without any more delay, introduce our guest, PhD candidate Daniel Goodman. He's a writer living in New York, where he's wrapping up that PhD at the JTS. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, Wonder and Religion in America Cinema. And most importantly, he goes by the goods because he went to high school with several of the other voices, including myself, That's on right. this podcast. <laughs> Daniel... Welcome to the pod. Thanks for joining us. What's your relationship with sports and the movies? Are you more a movies guy or are you more a sports wow. guy? I'm going to movies since I was five years old and playing sports since I was five years old. They were sort of dual tracks in my life. What's your first sport movie that you can remember? The kind of sports movies I started out watching that I really loved were they used to make about you know, not really sports movies like the ones that we have in this tournament, like, you know, Field of Dreams and Hoosiers, but kind of documentaries about athletes, the 92 Bulls and stuff. And I would just watch that over and over. We agreed early on when setting up the 300 plus movies we would watch that we wouldn't include straight up documentaries of actual dramas that happened in professional sports. So, you know, we wouldn't see yeah. after the Yankees won a championship the, the documentary that comes out saying, you know, the 1998 season or whatever it is. Those could be your favorite movies in sports. True. You know, if your team wins a championship. True. Yeah, I mean, if we had just put in the 94 Rangers Stanley Cup video, then that uh, would have won the tournament. We wanted to give movies like Raging Bull and others a chance. Let me quickly give the setup as to how this is going to work. Av had said we have 16 movies that play today in the Bambino region. We seeded the movies based on how they performed in the single sports brackets that we hosted over the last 10 months of movie watching. This is the only region in our tournament of champions that is home to four movies that were named the number one in their sport, namely Raging Bull, Enter the Dragon, Caddyshack, and Murder Bull. So with Daniel and Av as lead judges, we're gonna narrow this region down now from 16 to four movies. 
essentially taking us through the first two rounds. I suggest we start off with not only the number one seed in the Bambino region, but it is the number one overall seed in this entire tournament based upon, again, how it performed in previous tournaments and on the reviews it gets from critics. Raging Bull came out in 1980. Of course, it's a boxing movie is going up against the number 16, Fast and the Furious, the very bottom-ranked movie in our entire tournament. And that is a 2001 movie. And of course, it launched a huge franchise and it qualifies as a racing movie. Not quite sure if the rest of the franchise would qualify as a sports movie. We're on the heels of today's news that that F9, the latest in the franchise, has been delayed to 2021. For those of you like me who are planning a oh. Fast and the Furious watch this year, you can delay it a year. Dan, you got to go first. Give us your take. Are you going to draw upon your boxing background as the goods and go for Raging Bull? <laughs> of or is your softness Vin Diesel going to push you into Fast and the Furious? I'm not a Fast and the Furious guy. Okay. Not I, kind of my think... way in. But this would just be a monumental upset. I mean, maybe against some other movies here, Fast and the Furious can plot a win. But you know, Raging Bull is just not only maybe the greatest sports movie of all time, but it could easily be in a bracket of greatest movies of all time as a one or two seed. It's just that good of a movie, it's that strong. De Niro's greatest movie of all time, maybe his greatest performance of all time, one of the greatest performances in cinema history. This is like Western Kentucky State going up against Duke or something in the first round. I mean, this is just a monumental task. So, but everyone always wants Duke yeah. to lose when that happens. That's right. <laughs> That's right. People do. But do people want Raging Bull to lose in the same way? For sure, Raging Bull, without a doubt. Yeah, I'll uh, pile on. I enjoyed Fast and the Furious. It's the only one of the franchise I've seen, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing others at some point. Dan said Raging Bull is, is an all-timer. It's streaming on Netflix now, so those who haven't ever seen it take the opportunity oh. to go see it. It's not like the most conventional sports movie, but it's really visceral experience to watch, just like the barbarism of the fighting scenes and the way you see that spill over into his personal life affect everything in his life because of his profession. It's a really incredible character study with some really grueling scenes. I feel it's more his personal life almost seems to bleed into the ring. I guess they're setting it up that it's the opposite, uh -huh. but since we uh -huh. spend more That's time in the beginning with him in his personal life, I feel it's that sort of anger he has in society and then he kind of goes into the ring and like, you know, takes it out on people. Uh, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to compare the legacy of both movies and based upon the legacy decide which one would get your vote. I would say The Irishman, The Irishman is in some way you could say a sequel to Raging Bull. Mm -hmm. Same lead, same director. Therefore, even though Fast and the Furious, as you said, has what, 21 years now of legacy? Raging Bull with The Irishman has 40 plus years. So important for, for cinema history because it's the first collaboration between Scorsese, De Niro, and Pesci. From that perspective, The Irishman is definitely kind of a sequel to it. I mean, it's more of a sequel to Goodfellas. A yeah. lot of people for The Irishman, they said, oh, this is sort of the swan song of these real life actor and directors working together. And as you said, just get to the extent they started in Raging Bull 40 years later, or I guess 39 years later. They brought it to a close in Irishman. If I imagine De Niro in Fast and the Furious as his character in Raging Bull, he would just make every other character seem... If I imagine yeah. his character in the other movie, then this matchup is over before it begins. But I think all of us had our own reasons and we all came to the right decision. Let's jump to the next matchup, which is going to be a little tighter, I think, because it is the eight and nine. Number eight, White Men Can't Jump, 1992 basketball classic against number nine, The Fighter, 
2010, a bit more recently, and it's another boxing movie. This one is very close. I really, really like The Fighter. I thought it's a really good boxing movie. White Men Can't Jump, though, it has a fun energy to it that puts it a step above. Probably not, like, as good of a movie, but, like, I have such fond memories of this movie. I watched it so many times when I was younger. It's definitely a big part of my development as a sports fan and a sports movie fan. It's also kind of drives home that myth of the playground being where all the, like, the really great players are. You know, the ones who are never discovered by the NBA, but they're really even better, which obviously is BS, but it's like a fun thing to imagine. I'm going to vote for White Man Can't Jump, even though I'm a big fan of the fight. I'm also going to vote for White Man Can't Jump here, just because, you know, White Man Can't Jump is, is so fun. It's yeah, such and, a fun movie. And so rewatchable. So I'm going to jump on that point and push us into the next round. We're going to have Raging Bull go up against White Men Can't Jump. I'm going to quickly give my first vote, which is I'm going to go for White Men Can't Jump over Raging Bull. And the reason is the wow. rewatchability. I find White Men Can't Jump, I can always turn it on and I'm entertained. I'm not that entertained by Raging Bull. There aren't scenes in Raging Bull that I you know, have to go back and see. Like when I think of... Pacino and De Niro, who I always think of together, and I think of some of their classic movies, there's scenes in Taxi Driver, or Godfather. Yeah. There's just certain scenes that draw me back into those classics, above and beyond that it's just a really well-made classic. Raging Bull doesn't mm -hmm. give me that. I'm sort of in awe of it as like a well-made mm. movie, even from the opening scene with the music and everything, but it doesn't have that fun, catchy, I will turn this on and watch it at any time. And then I think also, I think there's powerful themes as well that give white men can jump much more than just your run-of-the-mill comedy. It fits into that comedy, which is so sad. The fact that the movie came out, I think, a year before the Rodney King riots. You know, obviously the fact that the two leads in White Men Can't Jump went on to make many sports movies together based upon their chemistry in this movie. I think White Men Can't Jump is it's a phenomenal, it's a special sports movie. And therefore, it lives more, uh, it lives up to the sports movie theme of this bracket and it has the rewatchability, I'll turn it over to you, Av, and maybe let's save Dan for the potential tiebreaker. I hear a lot of what you're saying, and I definitely agree, White Man Can't Jump is more rewatchable. Raging Bull is not like a fun movie to watch. It takes a lot out of you. It's, it's like a movie you like almost experience more than you watch. You almost like feel the punches. I think Raging Bull is like such an incredible accomplishment that even though it's not the most enjoyable, fun, you know, feeling movie to watch. It's such a masterpiece. It makes me sad to vote out White Men Can't Jump, but I think uh, I think that's the right call here. Dan, the goods, it's up to you. Here's where the goods boxing background is going to have to say here, because uh, I do hear your case for White Man Can't Jump. One of those plucky teams in a tournament like uh, San Diego State or something that catches fire one year, Creighton and get on the bandwagon, but then they come up against North Carolina. They're just so good and experienced and they're playing together and this great coach and that's kind of what Raging Bull is for me. I'm worried about Raging <laughs> Bull though because it went from Duke huh? to North Carolina. It's going to be like oh. Wake Forest by the next round. It's getting Holy its reputation no. whittled away piece by piece. If it makes it to the finals, it's going to be like University of Minnesota or something. Raging Bull, Bull is going to safely box its ticket to the round of 16. To make a case for its rewatchability. It doesn't have the, the quality of fun, like White Man Can't Jump, but just as a movie, it does almost everything right. You know, there are some scenes, you know, the, the boxing scene, De Niro, when he's taking the pummeling in the ring and how that's photographed. And he never got me down, right? He never got me down. You know, the scene where he's meeting his 
it's going to be his eventual wife for the first time. Pesci and him are, are looking over at her. He's like wondering, should I approach, am I going to approach her or not? But there are all these little individual scenes with the nuance of what Pesci and De Niro are doing together, expressions on their face. Like from a movie perspective, cinematic perspective, they're very rewatchable. Maybe Raging Bull is going to have to try to ride its movie elitism rather than its sports movie credentials um, to go far in this Possibly. But we'll, let's jump to the next uh, four movies and see who, I guess, will be the adversary for Raging Bull. And that's going to first start with number five in the, in the Bambino region, Warrior against number 12, Ali. Warrior is a martial arts movie, 2011, and Ali is 2001, another boxing movie. This seems to be a boxing movie heavy bracket. I think I am gonna triple down on boxing here. <laughs> Ali is not the best movie, but the Will Smith portrayal of the character is very good. Just coming from me just really not being an MMA fan, Ali deserves to move on here. It's one of the kind of remarkable things about Warrior, that it's a sports movie about a sport that didn't really have much popular interest when it came Yeah, we talked about Ali, obviously, in, in the boxing bracket. I wasn't on for the, the episode where we talked about Warrior. I agree that Will Smith's portrayal of Ali was was really impressive, like especially like his fighting style. Like we watched the documentary like, when we were kings. I watched it kind of like back to back. So it was like very cool to see a cinematic version back-to-back with a documentary of similar events. I just felt like the movie as a whole lacked connective t- tissue, whereas you would get a 15-minute scene about Ali and like his conversion to Islam, and then a little bit about his, you know, trying to not go to the Vietnam War. And like, I just like didn't feel like they did a good enough job of showing like how all these events in his life added up to a whole who this person was. Warrior is a movie that it's a miracle that it works because you can easily criticize this movie and say that it's just very predictable and very cliche and overly saccharine. And all of that is true. And yet, when I watched it in 2011 and when I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, I was just so blown over by it. The acting performances in it are so great. The music in it is so powerful. There's just like somehow it just like all comes together despite all odds. It should just be a generic sports movie with just classic underdog story. You know exactly where it's going, the opening scene basically, but yet somehow it works. So my vote is for Warrior. It's a movie that I absolutely love. It was my favorite movie of 2011 when, when I did my rankings that year. I don't know if it's quite lived up to that now that I've seen more movies over the last 10 years from from that year, but it's definitely still near the top. Odd brings up our boxing bracket, which was pretty fun. We had a great guest over from the UK, a real boxing expert. And at the time, I think I said uh, that Ali was my number two, or maybe my number three favorite boxing movie. It's really up near the top for me. It's one of my favorite, favorite boxing movies. And that said, there's no competition. There's zero competition here. Warrior, easy win. Warrior is the epitome, I think, of a sports movie in that it embraces all the tropes, and yet it makes it just makes a phenomenal movie with those tropes. I mean, everything is on point. The themes are on point. The acting is on point. The way the sport is filmed, and also the, the way the sport is set. This is sort of similar to Raging Bull. The way the sport is set within the characters' lives, in the way you have, you know, like a soldier and a teacher have to go back to sort of the pit of humanity and become fighters and take their clothes off to sort of redeem themselves. There's really a lot there, and I think a lot of those things I just said are at the core of a lot of sports movies, especially the sports movies that have violence at the core, boxing, football, even baseball, as we see in the natural. When we spoke on the martial arts bracket, I said the warrior is the Rocky of our time, particularly in the way that it sort of replaced boxing with MMA, and I think MMA has replaced boxing. I think MMA is now sort of much more popular. To me, the warrior is a deserving champion, 
And we'll see who it faces in the next round because there's actually another martial arts movie waiting for it potentially. Murderball versus number 13, The Art of Self-Defense. Murderball is a documentary about wheelchair rugby and I guess the Olympics, and it came out in 2005. And The Art of Self-Defense is a 2019 movie about karate, murderball, art of self-defense. There's murder in only one of these movies, and by the title, it might not be obvious. I really liked Murderball. Such a, a movie about the triumph of the human will. And to use the word normalize, I don't know if it, it's a great word, but to show how people with disabilities are, they're no different than anyone else. We're concerned about our sexual drive. They're concerned about their sexual capabilities. Yeah, how it goes into their their sexuality, their their sex lives. It's pretty fascinating. At first, it's, oh my gosh, they're, they're going there? Like, really? This is a big part of all of our lives and, and yeah, theirs life, too. And, life and goes it, it on. Of course, that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say it's a very good sports documentary. Maybe not great. I don't know if I would go there. It's not hoop dreams, let's say, on that level, but it's maybe just a shade below. Well, if you're a shade below hoop dreams, I think you're a top 10 all-time sports documentary because it can only be one. Uh, what do you think between Murderball and The Art of Self-Defense? We ended up talking about Art of Self-Defense a lot uh, last year on the podcast because it was uh, one of Will's favorite movies of the year. And it was a movie that I also enjoyed a lot. I think Sammy was uh, probably the coolest out of the three of us, but still liked it. It's like a very fun, dark, sarcastic movie. Murderball, though, is such a well-made documentary. There is an extent to which it's like not completely a sports documentary because like most of its mm -hmm. weight comes from like not the actual sports, which is shown only to a limited extent in the movie, but really just like by its focus on these characters, we just really get to know over the course of a couple hours and just become really fond of and just like what they've gone through, how they persevere through it. The one sports element that I thought was really interesting, like right at the beginning, they talk about how the system works where like your team can't have more than a certain number of points based on like how able the different people on your team are you can't cheat by getting people who aren't disabled enough on your team so it's like every guy gets a rating based on like how many limbs they have missing or exactly what their disability is so it's just like an interesting way in which the disability plays itself into the rules of the sports itself you don't have to be a sports fan to appreciate it. it's really just about like as you said the triumph of the human will over all circumstances and impressive group of people like they're far more capable than Frankly, I am, or many people are, athletically, despite the fact that they are severely disabled. So it's just really an incredible story. To me, the miracle of Murderball is the massive amount of footage that the directors were wrestling with. And that is one of, I think, the biggest challenges with what? These kind of documentaries. When you follow subjects around for so long, and then you're sitting with this just, you know, huge pool of footage and deciding how you put that all together. That and access, and, you know, I guess also empathy. They probably followed dozens and dozens of the different athletes on both the Canada and the US team. And then they just, you know, narrowed down and narrowed down and chose how to tell their story. And I think they told their story really well. I think there's tons of little anecdotes in Murderball that are precious. Uh, to what you said, my cousin is actually the lead physio for the Israeli Paralympics team. And all sports work that way. Wow. She's particularly involved in wheelchair basketball, but all the sort of team Paralympic disabled sports work on that same system where you have a point system so you have a you know a, a fair average on the court at all times of disabilities the best thing i would just say of art of self-defense because the humor and the themes didn't work for me at all martial arts episode one of our guests suggested that if you see the entire movie of the art of self-defense as happening in the mind of jesse eisenberg a la fight club then i think it makes the movie all the better 
the whole thing he's sort of making up as a way right. to sort of you know improve his masculinity. But even right. so, Murderball is going to be the winner, and it's going to go up against Warrior. Now, Daniel, you voted against Warrior in the first round. Are you going to vote it against it versus Murderball? Which way are you going to go? Warrior, Murderball, second round. There are miraculous elements, to use that word, of Murderball, how it was made, of how it all came together. What did it work for you in Warrior? Don't connect to that sport at all. To me, it's irrelevant, really, what sport they're doing. They could have been jousting. They could have been, you know, they could have been playing chess. It's, it's all about the, the sibling relationship. It's all about the, you know, striving for forgiveness. It's all about redemption. How much is our interest in a given sport impact our attraction to a particular movie? And Av, I think you spoke about this, how certain, particularly the baseball movies, helped shape your, you know, love of baseball slash your love of baseball helped shape your love of the movie. To this day, I have no interest in MMA. And yet I find Warrior a fantastic movie and the, and the MMA in it to me is super exciting to watch. Av, how about I give you the tiebreaker because my vote's going to go for Warrior again. My concern, both these movies we described as miracles. My concern with Murderball ultimately is it kind of ends a little weakly, I think. I think the movie's best parts are in the early part. And then by the, there, there's points definitely during Murderball, particularly in the last third, where I was like, okay, this has been fun, I'm ready to go. As opposed to Warrior, I mean, Warrior is a tight, compact, Tom Hardy rippled beast. And it just builds and builds and builds and as you said, even though it's a classic sports movie where you know what's coming, it doesn't matter. I want to be there till the last second. One other criticism I'll give of, of Warrior, it's, and it's like the type of thing that comes up in a lot of sports movies and a lot of like action movies as well. The internal logic of like how good the fighters are relative to each other just like doesn't make any sense at all. Tom Hardy destroying people in two seconds, like no matter how good they are, he just like comes and like hits them once and like they're dead. Edgerton is somehow survives one match after another by the skin of his teeth. He's getting his ass kicked and then somehow he gets the guy to like tap out by sneaking in a move at the last second. And then like when it comes to the last match, it's like, okay, so Tom Hardy should just beat him in two seconds because we have no reason to think that his but brother- But they're brothers. Is. I think brother dynamic- Takes over. You, you do go into it thinking, oh, he's the older brother. When I had fights with my older brother, our past guest on the Bombay region, when you go off against your older brother, I mean, we see this in some of the movies. When you face off against your dad, that's always yeah. comes into play. It doesn't, it doesn't matter yeah. how good Indiana Jones is. When Henry Jones is next to him, he's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's fair. Edgerton was able to be that monster that, like they basically said, is like unbeatable. The level of how good everybody is didn't really make sense. So a minor criticism, but my vote is still going to be for Warrior. I love that movie so much. Murderball is like really impressive, a re really touching subject. The best parts of it have nothing to do with sports. So my vote will go to Warrior, which is a perfect sports movie. We've had this disagreement and now think through 10 months and many hundreds yeah. of movies. Well, Murderball is about a coach. Any figure in all the sports movies, I think the coach in Murderball is so driven by his connection to the sport, he takes it with him everywhere. He takes it with him with his relationship with his children, like Raging Bull, with his wife. And therefore, as long as you're following along with that coach, that is a sports move. He can take you completely away from the field and the court. That is a yeah, sports I experience. I wouldn't say it's not a sports movie. I just think it's less of a sports movie than Warrior. I think specifically like the best parts of the movie are like when we're just like spending time with people at home and not when we're the court with them, which I think is a weakness for a sports movie. Doesn't make it not a sports movie. All things being equal, I'll choose a movie where the crucial scenes of the movie take place on the field of sport rather than in a bedroom. We are at halftime of this region and it gives me pause to ask, 
Daniel, I noticed that so far all the tiebreakers have gone against you. I think you have to lobby a bit better for your picks. You gotta start slamming the moves you don't like, because otherwise the votes are gonna keep going against you. I'm like the narrow Asian bull. You never got me down. <laughs> you never got me down. Daniel, you had mentioned we got on air that there are some alarming movies that were not in the 64 bracket. I mean, obviously The Natural. I'm not as high on The Natural as others. There are a lot of people who would have it as a one seed in a sports movie bracket like that. I really love Rookie of the Year. Maybe it's because it's one of my childhood sports movies that I've watched over and over. I love that one. And for wrestling movies, you know, watching win-win, which we're going to discuss momentarily, I was thinking while watching that, why win-win and not Foxcatcher? Foxcatcher, though, I think was part of our Olympic episode, Olympic. not the wrestling episode, or were those together? Who even knows this? Yeah, those were together. I was not a fan of Foxcatcher. I'm also not a fan of The Natural, so, you know, I, I'll take the blame, even though I don't know if either of those are my fault for why they didn't get this far. Neither of them performed freshly well in, our, in the individual episodes that they were in, I guess. Foxcatcher, after I watched it, I was like, oh, I should have just read the Wikipedia page about all these people because I just like didn't think the movie added much other than getting to see Steve Carell in the fake notes. Steve Carell in that movie, unbelievable. He's unreal in that movie. His transformation, it's a De Niro level transformative kind of performance for me. Two of my other favorites, A League of Their Own. I'm sure yeah. the baseball yeah. bracket said, must have been competitive. The, ba the baseball bracket was super competitive. <laughs> Not a good baseball movie. Bull Durham barely made this tournament. I think it was like the fifth of the of six baseball movies he made it. Yeah, and that's because it was a competitive baseball episode. I mean, people don't realize how many great baseball movies, and we did want to have, uh, we wanted to have enough movies from different sports. My argument against why the National didn't make it is I was amazed in the baseball bracket when the Bad News Bears didn't make it. Because I think the Bad News Bears is an all-time classic movie. I think it's one of the most original movies across all sports. And you talk about great lead performances. I mean, I guess he's kind of the same guy in every one of his movies. And to me, the shock is that what took the number six seed in our baseball is 42. 42 is yeah. what took out The Natural, took out Bad News Bears, took out League of Their Own. And if you want to look at someone, look at 42, because I think that movie sucks. But hey, I was overruled. <laughs> it's in the 64, and the others aren't. So there you go. One more I wanted to mention debatable whether or not it's a sports movie, but dodgeball. Guys, the bracket is canceled. <laughs> We're starting again. <laughs> yeah, we forgot about dodgeball. dodgeball. <laughs> oh my no, God. Dodgeball would have made it into the miscellaneous. And uh, suffice to say, that was pretty competitive as well. Jump back to the movies that did make it. Let's go to the number six, Field of Dreams against number 11, win-win, Field of Dreams, baseball, 1989. Again, that special late 80s, early 90s period of sports movies. Win-win 2009, and it is, as Dan said a few minutes ago, a wrestling movie. Dan, you got to start us off because I have an inkling of where my friend Av is going. I got Feel the Dreams here. This is an easy one for me. Feel the Dreams should be a one seed, probably one Ooh. of the four or five best sports movies of all time. Yeah, here we go, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Some people may not like the fantasy elements of Field of Dreams, I understand. Maybe they just don't like fantasy in general. The magic of it. And then going up against Win-Win. I love Paul Giamatti. I could watch him fiddle around with a plastic bag or paper bag. Only paper bags now, actually. But whatever he's doing, I could watch him in. Just the rest of the movie didn't quite work for me. Uh, how about you do this? Yeah. Before you gush about Field of Dreams some more, which people do <laughs> want to hear, 
Give us your case as to why win-win potentially should win this matchup. It shouldn't win or win-win or win-win-win. Paul Giamatti is really good. He yeah. kind of is like a guy with a heart, his heart in the right place for the most part, makes some bad decisions, but like ultimately is like trying to do the right thing in the big picture. few scenes that like really made me laugh out loud, the one that stood out the most is when the really skinny kid does his like first match. I think it's his first match. And they realize that like the only way they could avoid losing is for him to start running away from the other guy, running around in circles and the other guy tries to chase him. Um, I thought that was really funny. It's a good movie that I think most people would enjoy. It's like a good family movie, date night movie. But yeah, Field of Dreams, one of my favorites. That magic and mysticism of baseball overpowers me yep. every single time. I think you could do, pull that off with any other sport. Like baseball just like has this place in our consciousness as, as the American pastime and just its history is so rich. Players from like the 40s and 50s and other sport don't have that same mythology around them. I don't know anything about basketball or football players from the 40s and 50s or 30s even. Like for, forget about it. It doesn't mean anything to me the way guys like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, like you just like grow up hearing these legends about them, like larger than life figures and Shoeless Joe Jackson is, is part of that as well. And a lot of that is because of this movie. Every time I watch it, I'm hoping that at the end, they're going to let Kevin Costner go with them out into the Ivy. And they never do. And I'm always hoping that maybe next time it washes over me in such a powerful way. There are some people that think it's too over the top and too mystical for their taste and put too much of an emphasis to the power of baseball. And of course, there's an extent to which that's true. You know, it has that. It's this thing that's passed down from parents to children over time and becomes a big part of bonds between people. One of my best groups of friends, a group of people that we just like went to Mets games together all the time when we, you know, we were in high school and college and after. Bert Young's character, the old grandfather, versus Bert Lancaster, the old uh, dying baseball player. Who wins the battle of the dying Berts? Better uh, character in the movie. I'll go with the doctor. Bert Young is, is one of my favorite characters in Win Win. The old dotty grandpa who keeps kind of wandering back to his house. He's really my, good. I got to give my, my vote for history's sake. Obviously, Field of Dreams is moving on 2-0. My vote would have gone for Win Win, and here's why. Oh. Field of Dreams, if it was only Bert Lancaster eulogizing dreams and only James Earl Jones sermonizing about America's pastime, if it was only those two things, it would be a perfect movie. Definitely a perfect sports movie. The problem is that all the other stuff gets in the way and none of the other side characters does anything for me. And that's why it sort of highlighted what works so well in Win-Win. I think Win-Win is one of the better casts of side characters of any movie in the 64 movie bracket. I'll point it out, even the skinny little wrestler running around is hilarious and makes you laugh. The grandfather, the two wrestling coaches. Oh, no, maybe, look, maybe, out. He's so good. He steals yeah. every scene in that movie. Yeah, Cannavale's great. Tambor's yeah. also great as sort of the even more losery assistant mm -hmm. coach. Amy Young as the suffering wife. Goods, you don't know this because you came to high school, I think, the year afterwards, but I spent freshman year in a singlet running around high school wrestling uh, pits and getting my, my I, I was really bad. You remember John Berliner, right? Of course. Of course. He, he was my roommate sophomore year. What win-win reminded me of was, you know, those wrestlers trying to make weight. So my roommate sophomore year was on the wrestling team. There would be nights where he would just spend the entire night in the steam room trying to lose two pounds of water so that he could make weight for his wrestling match the next day. But that ties into Field of Dreams because the reason your roommate yeah. was doing that wasn't for the sport. It was so he wouldn't disappoint his father. <laughs> That's a whole lot of conversation for another time. Field of Dreams, moving on. Who's it going to face? The number three movie, the number one overall golf movie, of course, is Caddyshack, which came out in 1980. And it's going up against another all-time classic for some, which is only the number 14, 
Hoosiers, which came out in 1986. Two classic 80s sports movies, Caddyshack, Hoosiers, of Who's Going Down. This is a close one for me. I know a lot of people hate on Hoosiers. It's a movie that I liked. I don't think it's like an all-time classic. Really enjoyed it the couple times that I saw it over the years. Caddyshack, I haven't seen it until recently, so it doesn't have that like same nostalgic feel for me that I think a lot of people have for it, who have you know seen it hundreds of times over the over like the last 40 years. Written so, books about it. In some yeah, cases. exactly. So this is a close one for me. I don't love either one of these. I'll give it to Hoosiers in a, a close call. I'm also going with Hoosiers here too. Are you a fan of Hoosiers? <laughs> I can't say I'm a fan of Hoosiers. In a matchup of Hoosiers versus Caddyshack, I have a kind of hot take here. Caddyshack is the most overrated sports movie of all time. So wow. overrated. It's got a great cast. Bill Murray, again, he's like one of those Paul Giamatti actors for me where I could watch him in anything. I love the individual scenes about it. Dangerfield is in. But it just doesn't work as a movie for me. It's not a movie. Yeah. It's just a bunch of hilarious scenes yeah. of Dangerfield and Bill Murray. I still feel like Hoosiers, one of those canonical sports movies, it could be a three or four seed. doesn't sound like we're as high on it as maybe some of the people who grew up with it might be. But, you know, it has that classic narrative structure and narrative arc of a movie. The low points that you have to overcome, those moments of doubt, David versus Goliath story in it. It's got the... It has the talent yeah, I know. Yeah. He's the best part of the movie, I think, by far. It's not even close. Hoosiers is going to move forward. It has a 2-0. and I'm going to have to give a strong vote in the opposition. I'm turning into the Dan Goodman of the mm. bottom half of this bracket. <laughs> um, I think Hoosiers is far and away the most overrated sports movie, and it isn't even close. Oh. Hoosiers was named the number one sports movie of all time by ESPN in both their fan vote and their, their writer's what? vote. And oh, Hoosiers yeah, is often, I mean, when people Disagree speak of, you know, greatest sports that. movies, Hoosiers is on the Mount Rushmore for most people. Caddyshack, if it's it there, is. is sort of, is there as a joke, I think. Hoosiers is way in the pantheon, and I think Hoosiers is, is awful. I think it has one of the all-time worst romances huh? in any movie. Hackman <laughs> is completely unappealing in the movie. The whole narrative wow. as to why the star basketball player who never misses a shot in the whole movie, as to why he joins the team, is never explained. He basically won't be on the team, and then he will be on the team. And then as soon as he's on the team, they win nonstop because he can't miss a shot. It's also just boring. It doesn't have a great music. Uh, Hoosiers does nothing for me. Caddyshack has a few great scenes, but Hoosiers is going to go forward. It's going to immediately run into Field of Dreams. Apologies to Hoosiers. I will say, though, I do always still think that that scene where they go to the like the, the big gym for the first time and, the, you know, where they're holding like the championship and like he measures everything to show it's the same court as what they're used to. Just everything feels bigger, I think, is a, a really cool classic sports scene. That's I think it's true. like a, just like a very good scene to just show children growing up could apply to like so many different situations in life. A really great classic scene. It's running into an all-time great for me. So my easy vote is for Field of Dreams. Hopefully Dan will, uh, will back me up again and we will continue to ride Field of Dreams and Raging Bull to the Sweet 16 together. Totally backing it here. Maybe still tougher Hoosiers because I feel like it's the sports movie where when screenwriters are looking for like, okay, how do I write a sports movie? Okay, let's pull up the well, the Hoosiers screenplay here and see how to I do it. Not. But I feel no. like that's what they do. So Dan writes reviews for a newspaper in Washington, D.C. The Washington Examiner. Oh, he Seth Mandel's paper. That's right. Dan, I was trying to give you an opening to sort of leave listeners thinking maybe it's the Post, which maybe the Post is not your <laughs> cup of tea, but uh, giving you this space. Anyways, so Dan <laughs> writes these reviews. There is a sports movie out now, which maybe is what you're thinking of, because it's a movie of a coach who's on his last chance, 
sort of like Gene Hackman in Hoosiers, and he goes to sort of a small town and he takes a team of underachievers, yeah, yeah. yada yada yada. The way back. I would say I would say the way back is perhaps maybe what you're thinking of when you say someone watched Hoosiers and said, okay, at least I'll make a better version of Hoosiers. I am going to review it for the Washington Examiner. It does look like the screenwriter looked at the Hoosiers screenplay and watched Hoosiers and said, okay, how can I make a better version of Hoosiers? So when we redo this uh, tournament of in 10 years, we can drop Hoosiers completely and at least uh, put a better version of it. Hopefully, <laughs> if if the it's better, because I don't, I don't know. I think it's tough to make a worse version of Hoosiers, but uh, that's my take. Field of <laughs> wow. Dreams is going to get three votes. Wow. Yeah, Hoosiers does nothing for me. The other thing that that it has greatly contributed to society, for which we should forever grateful, is the slow clap. You know, how many times (laughs) in your life have you started a slow clap, which is directly from Hoosiers? So it is, you know, affecting people's lives out there every single day. I will give it that. It has had a big influence. Rudy, the movie Rudy exists because of Hoosiers. It's the same team. It's had a massive legacy. Its legacy got it into the second round, and it ran into a Field of Dreams Goliath which crunched it. Let's jump to the last four set and see what we have. Black Stallion, the number seven, as you can guess by the title, came out in 1979 and it's a racing movie, a horse racing movie, going up against number 10, Seven Days in Hell, a 2015 tennis movie, a comedy, in case you're scared off by the title. I'm going to initiate our ongoing feud on the subject and take issue with your description of Black Stallion as a racing movie because it's not. It's a, uh, it's a fantasy adventure movie about a kid who gets shipwrecked with a horse and develops a relationship with him. And then, like, in the last 10 minutes, decides to maybe put him into some races. The first, like, 30, 40 minutes of the movie were very strong. The time that they spend alone on the, on the island together and when he first comes back, I thought that was, was very powerful. But, like, when it started veering into trying to be the sports movie like the third act i wasn't having any of it seven days in hell we talked about on the tennis bracket and i think what i said at the time is that its strength is how short it is because it's only like 50 (laughs) minutes works just enough to get you through 50 minutes if like they had tried to stretch this into being even a 90 minute movie forget about it and definitely not like a two-hour movie there's just not enough there for it to work are you laughing the whole way who cares how long it is if you're laughing yeah i think seven days in hell is a really fun movie for all the reasons i said even though you know I, i would argue maybe black stallion is a better movie in this bracket my vote's gonna be for seven days in hell all right all right all right sorry about black stallion this is one of your favorites sammy for whatever reason Lav and i taunted dan and then he formed an alliance with me to take you down we have an unbeatable voting block now i gotta bring my brother back on another episode because uh that's the only way uh, my movies get through i think all my favorites uh alex Chester supported in the bombay region roger ebert calls the black stallion scenes on the island one of the great experiences in cinema. Those are the exact words to use. All-time great music composer, an all-time great horse, I guess. <laughs> if there was a movie, which I'm surprised like The Natural didn't do this because it would have made The Natural, I think, better. If there was a movie where the first 40 minutes of the movie is like how the lead baseball player formed his relationship with his bat or his glove. He was marooned on an island with his glove or you know, lightning hit a tree and then like that piece of wood just helped him survive through the island and he formed such a deep connection to that piece of wood. I mean, this is a little bit what the natural tries to do, but not as much. That to me is what the first hour of Black Stallion is doing. And I agree with you completely. The second half of Black Stallion is boring, but the first half is a sports experience. It's talking about the connection between what in racing is at the core of racing, which is a man and the horse. And that is what's being established in the first hour in the same way that like a man in the baseball or whatever it is. So I think it's a deeply sporting experience. If you ask like people who are really horse racing fans, they'll say that's the core of the horse racing experience. And all the other bad horse racing movies, which we kicked out to 
not get into the tournament. They were all trying to do that, and they just didn't do that as well. They were all trying to show the relationship between the jockey or the trainer and the horse, and they just couldn't do it. The last thing I'll say is the way it subtly talks about how a boy is looking for a new father figure after the loss of his father in the beginning of the movie, I think that is one of the all-time greats. And like, I would think Black Stallion is a great kids movie, but I mean, ah, maybe you can speak to this the most. The parent dies in like basically every Disney movie. Kids are pretty resilient. I think that stuff kind of just like bounces off. They don't like process it as real necessarily the same way that we do when a character dies. They don't really necessarily appreciate the gravity. Fair enough. Dan, has there ever been a better Kit Harrington role in any movie or TV or anything else than Seven Days in Hell? Because to me, this is, I think this is the definitive Kit Harrington uh, portrayal on screen. I haven't seen him in anything else, so why not? You haven't not seen Wolf Kit Harrington in anything else? Oh, not back that, me up not here. that I know of. <laughs> you Have you heard of a little house, show but... called Game of Thrones, perhaps? Uh, I've heard of it, but I'm probably one of only three people in the United States left to have not seen Game of Thrones. So I know, throw me off the podcast now, yeah, but it's not a Game of Thrones no, podcast. No, this is a movie podcast, so Game of Thrones is irrelevant to us, I suppose. Av, would you back me up? Right, Do you think this is... I think he's better as uh, as Jon Snow, but he's he's very fun in this. I don't think he has the I... range to do Jon Snow. I think he has the range to do the very little that is asked of him in Seven Days of Hell. Indubitably. Seven Days in Hell is Andy Sandberg's best performance. Peak Sandberg? Peak Sandberg is the dick in the box. I grew up a huge Andre Agassi fan. Sandberg just does the best satire, the best version of Agassi ever on film or anything I can imagine. You know, that hair piece that Agassi used to wear, how flashy he used to be. Agassi wore a hair piece? He was going bald in his 20s and he was kind of embarrassed about that and Initially, he was all about the glitz and the glamour. And if you read his biography, his autobiography, Open, it is such a good sports book. But how open, pun intended, how open he is about his life, you know, talking about how he really was that kind of glitzy, glamorous, showy guy. But And Sandberg plays him from the time when Agassi was still known as the the kind of tennis playboy. If we talk any more tennis... We're going to lose off. Um, <laughs> We're going to lose the audience. Oh, we'll lose off. I think yeah. the audience is probably more into tennis than off. I'm so grateful that I was exposed to this because I had never even heard of it. It's sort of a tough movie to find, even if you're a movie person and a tennis person like I am. This is your it's favorite made, sport. It just got so many things about tennis, the, the way it satirizes the sport. Tell us your favorite from our final matchup of the Bambino region. Number two, Enter the Dragon, the classic 1973 martial arts movie that many say is sort of the first martial arts movie in terms of Hollywood, versus 15, football movie, came out in 2004. Of course, that is Friday Night Lights. Who's your winner and why? I don't know why I have a feeling you guys are going to go Enter the Dragon. (laughs) Don't vote what we want. Vote what the goods wants. I've been voting what the goods wants this whole time. So, you know, whether I'm, I'm with Av or not, you know, how he's happened to gang up in this last side of the bracket, eventually or unintentionally, has been pretty cool. But the goods is going to go with the upset here that I don't think is that much of an upset, really. Friday Night Lights over Enter the Dragon. The reason for me is Enter the Dragon, I guess it's kind of like the Fast and the Furious of this section of the bracket where... It's got its fans. It created a whole, this whole John martial arts movies, but it just seems to have very little 
story to me. It was just fight after fight. And maybe if I was more of an of a martial arts fan, I would have appreciated it more or I've been more into it. I did really like the cinematography, like from a technical standpoint, like the color palette that they use and the aesthetic standpoint. But Friday Night Lights, it's kind of got that Hoosiers like canonical sports movie structure to me. Uh-oh, like, you mentioned like Hoosiers. Great, <laughs> I don't know. Didn't mean to go back to Hoosiers. We included a lot of classics in all the movies we looked at. In every single sport, we yeah. brought a lot of classics in. With rare exception, did any of them really make it all the way? Enter the Dragon was really the rare movie that came out, I would say, before the mid-1980s that held up. And that's because there's something to be said for a movie that's come out of the last 20 years with all the sort of more dynamic movie-making tendencies that we have. And Friday Night Lights grabs those and runs with it. And uh, yeah, so I think it's a, it's a fair vote. And I can, I can see where you're coming from. High school football is one of those parts of Americana that is really unique to this country. So not quite on the level of Field of Dreams and baseball, with the baseball being so unique to this country and, and the history and the, and the mythology of the sport talking of the country. But there are so many parts of the country where high school football is a religion. You really feel that in this movie. For me, growing up in the Northeast, I, I don't think I, I felt that. And growing up in New England, well, you wanted not that to experience. I wanted it, but it helped me understand it and experience it. I like movies and books and things in general that, that help me understand and experience and relate to things that are really important to other, valuable to other people and other cultures that I may not understand and like have no access to. Would the Hong Kong well, martial arts scene qualify? <laughs> Or no. Oh, yeah, you thought fair. those are friends with the dragon. Yeah, I thought yeah, you were no. going to do the old switcheroo. <laughs> One thing I've noticed is that people tend to say yada, 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 but I'm going to go for the other one. And I noticed that in most of uh -huh. our bracket uh -huh. decisions as well. So yeah, I figured unless you were going to do the triple deke, I kind of saw where you were going there. Our alliance is going to survive. I really did not like Enter the Dragon at all. Um, I told you, Av hates old movies. Hates I mean, <laughs> I mean, first of all, like the dubbing in the movie is just awful. I know that. That's a classic Hong Kong element. I get it. It was just like excruciating to watch. It was just like, it was very distracting <laughs> for me. Like every second of his mouths are not lining up. It was just very strange to watch. I think Dan touched on just like the, the fighting just like feels very not plot driven. I just like didn't understand like half the time. Yeah. Like, why, are, why are we having a karate competition now in like the middle of this garden while we're doing this like mystery? I, the plot just like didn't tie together to me. I like, didn't really understand what was happening happening at various points. Uh, can I reveal to you what the plot of Enter the Dragon is? The yeah, plot of right. Enter the Dragon was to make Bruce Lee into a big film star. That was yeah. the only point of the movie. Yeah, Nothing enough. else matters. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Dan, can you guess who Av was cheering for when Bruce Lee went up against Brad Pitt? Av, you were clearly cheering for Brad I Pitt. I could probably right? guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm much more of a bit of a Brad Pitt fan. But yeah, we don't even know what really happened in that scene. It's all from his imagination. You know, it's all very unclear. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, Great scene, by the way. Yeah. Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Not one of my favorite football movies. The show that it, that it was adapted into is, I think, way, way better than the movie. So, you know, maybe my, my vote is in part for the show with the same name but i just i really did not like enter the dragon at all i was disappointed because you know people talk about it as this like all-time great and i guess i'm not gonna do a binge of bruce lee movies because this is considered to be the best one and i really didn't like it so i probably won't like the others unfortunately for bruce lee there aren't that many hollywood bruce lee movies you could binge on he died right after making enter the dragon which was his first hollywood movie 
So, oh, okay. Uh, there you go. The rest, the rest were his Hong Kong phase, so they're much lower budget. Enter the Dragon is intentionally paint by numbers. They said, okay, we need to make a movie to make Bruce Lee look really, really cool. James Bond is really popular. Let's make a James Bond movie. Let's have a black guy and a white guy. Like everything is just so typecast. Every character is such a cartoon. And yet, almost maybe because of that, to me, so many lines and scenes in Enter the Dragon are like instant memes. Like every scene with the black martial arts guy, every time he turns his head, Every, like, every just kind of silly little scene with him, the way he gives his lines, just so over the top and yet so memorable. Obviously his look, the music, the music he listens to, the music in the movie as a whole, the way it combines funk and like Asian. I think that makes the movie so fresh. It's so contemporary that it has so many just kind of silly, iconic mini, mini scenes. I don't think it's a great movie either. I think the fact that not one of the good guys is ever really threatened obviously besides them killing off the black guy, sorry, spoiler. You know, does Bruce Lee ever show the slightest indication that he might lose to anyone else in the movie? No, he's a, I mean, like, he's he a very just... confident guy. And also even the white guy, the worst thing that happens to the white guy is his girlfriend just is, dies for no reason. Like also, how does she die? Like, who would have killed the blonde woman at the end of the movie? That made no sense to me. Like he just looks over and she's like, oh, she's dead. Okay, I guess I'll move on to my next lady. I would have given Enter the Dragon my vote. Let's see what you're gonna do in round two though, because here it's gonna be maybe more competitive. Football, tennis. Billy Bob Thornton is just a word about Billy Bob Thornton. Is how good is he in this movie? Maybe one of his best performances. I can't vote against Seven Days in Hell. I think it's really hard to pull off a good comedy. I think comedies are really underrated. Dan, what, one of the dynamics uh -huh. that Av and I have seen through a lot of these movies is you have the sort of Raging Bull, Warrior, I would even say uh, Field of Dreams type movies and you know, the inspiring kind of somber classics. And then you have just the slapstick sports movies. And both of those have been represented in the Bambino region. And if your vote is going for Seven Days in Hell, because Friday Night Lights is clearly one of the former, it clearly has a sort of somber sports, uh, you know, the, the meaning yeah. of life is, is yeah. encoded into the movie. This is a tough one. I think, I think both tough. of these movies are good. Part of it is tough is because, like, as I talked about earlier, like, Seven Days in Hell, like, is not, like, quite a real movie because it's, like, so short. It's an episode of TV. It's, like, comparing it to, like, full-length movies is a bit unfair. But it is just, like, so much fun. Dying from fun. laughter as I watch it. So I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to vote for it. I mean, it's crazy that, like, Seven Days in Hell, for to think right. that, that would make the Sweet 16 of a, of a sports movie. It is movie crazy. Right? But it's just like a, it's a hilarious movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give Seven Days in Hell the rare 3-0 and o victory. Wow. Which I think only... I think only wow. Field of Dreams, Raging Bull, and Seven Days in Hell can say that in the Bambino region. Right. So there will be a comedy amongst the final four. We have Raging yeah. Bull, Warrior, Field of Dreams, and Seven Days in Hell. I would say mm. the first three could all end up winning this entire tournament. I would say the first three oh, yeah. will have a good chance. Yeah, I'm, I think Seven, seven days, days in Hell, I think it, it got a, a favorable draw to get to the Sweet 16, perhaps. It did. And it had Dan, who is a high school <laughs> tennis player, which I forgot when we invited you on that tennis was your first love. I That's always right. think of you as a boxer. We stopped this bracket with boxing movies because uh, I know of your boxing heyday, but it turns out tennis was uh, your ace in the hole the whole time. Which of the mo four movies here would your, be your choice to win out overall? Seven Days in Hell could be in a bracket for greatest comedies of all time. That, that would be a pretty nice bracket to do um oh are you gonna, are you gonna pull off the surprise but... and say seven days in hell is your winner from uh the bambino region as much as i want to when it's in the same bracket same region as feel the dreams and raging bull 
Which way would you go? You we're know, putting you on the record. Would, uh, Washington Examiner readers are going to be able to keep you honest here. I think I'm going to have to watch these movies again. I'm going to have to rewatch them. Okay. I don't know if I can I'll make go, a decision right now. Dan, before we say goodbye, you mentioned you have a book coming out. Maybe you can tell us about the book briefly. How can people follow up with you to get as much Dan Goodman as they can? Easiest way is go to my website, danielrossgoodman.com. You can find a lot of my articles on not just movies, but all kinds of subjects on there. There's a contact page if you want to get in touch with me. Washington Examiner, my reviews come out almost every week and on Twitter at Dan Ross Goodman. You should tell your editors. There's at least one reader at Washington Examiner who only comes for Dan Goodman's uh, movie uh, reviews. And the book is coming out, slated to come out in June, somewhere over the, over the rainbow, Wonder and Religion in American Cinema. It's not about sports movies per se. Actually, I don't even know if there, there are any sports movies in there at all, unfortunately. But it's not a, a book about sports movies, but it's, it's a book about movies and how religion is used and elements of wonder uh, come up in American movies. You know, Scorsese movies in there, like Wolf of Wall Street, some Wes Anderson movies. If you're a movie fan, check it out when it comes out. Well, I'll tell you, Dad, as a, uh, a huge Scorsese and Paul Thomas Anderson fan and someone who literally sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow to my two daughters every night before bed, I think you may have at least <laughs> one <laughs> buyer for your book. All right. An Obstininsky, Daniel Ross, Goodman uh, panel when the book comes out might be compelling. Yeah, maybe uh, we're going to... Uh, have... might, might be. Maybe we're going to kick guys out have, Sammy and form our own podcast. Uh, yeah. About this collaboration. <laughs> I always have Will. Uh, Will's our, our third co-host who's skipping the, the sports. Dan, thanks so much. It was great. Keep your movie reviews going. And uh, maybe we can have you back sometime to talk about contemporary movies. Because this podcast is yeah. a pod and it's dedicated to uh, the movies of today. Miyagi region and Balboa, Balboa region. region. Still to come. Dan, do you know why this was called awesome. the Bambino region? What movie does that come from, Bambino? Gotta come from the Sandlot, no? There you, there you go. The Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, the great Bambino. Oh, yeah. Uh, either that or I thought you guys were just trying to troll me knowing that I'm a Red Sox fan. So, <laughs> I don't know. E either one of those possibilities crossed my we mind. We <laughs> matched up guest and title very intentionally. So we had a Minnesota guy join for the Bombay. We obviously had a Red Sox fan join for the Bambino. And, and you guess who will join for Miyagi and Balboa. Wash your hands, everybody. Listen to podcasts during the age of Corona. It's the most safe and healthy thing you can do. Yeah, could be. Wash your earpods. Okay, there will great. be pods. Getting high in the